Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone. It is a project of EEI, Edison Electric Institute, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Vietor, Executive Director of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Well, welcome back, everyone. Happy New Year. This is the first episode we're recording in 2021, and we're going to do things a little bit differently this year. As I've learned how to podcast better, starting to think about weaving a few stories together and inserting experts within a conversation, and this is our first attempt at that. Today, we're going to be digging into a topic called ESG, uh, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And this is really something that's been driven by activist investors. And these are activist investors who are pressuring companies to change the way they're investing capital. And to learn more about it, I have the great fortune of being joined by a a friend and a real superstar in my book in the investment world in Steve Fleischman. Steve is the managing director and senior utilities analyst at Wolf Research. So Steve, Simply, in one sentence or so, what is ESG? Sure, Brad. So ESG, it stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Principles for Investing. And it's a kind of new overlay, new framework that many large investors are now using to decide which companies and which stocks they want to put their money with beyond the normal earnings and valuations that they've looked at in the past. So why does ESG matter to investors? And I guess maybe even more importantly, why does it matter to investors right now? Like what is going on now that is causing investors to view companies through this lens in a way that they maybe didn't before? Yeah, so I think the investment process is There's definitely a push more toward broad stakeholder value creation, not just shareholders. You've seen that with some of the BlackRock letters and focused business roundtable on stakeholder value. So that's one reason. The second reason, I think, is very much the focus on climate and protecting the climate and that being a really important overlay to what companies are doing. And so the E side of things, environmental, I think, is the other real reason. And then lastly, it's the demand from investors, investors, you know, maybe starting with younger investors and maybe starting a little more with overseas investors, but now more broadly, really demand that companies are doing the right thing and not just, not just trying to make every dollar, but doing the right thing for the long-term Let me dig into that a little bit more. I mean, as the senior utilities analyst, right? Like you're the guy that knows all the things about the utilities that you're tracking. How do you do this? Like, what are you applying? What metrics, what ESG metrics are you applying to companies when you send out your notes and make recommendations to investors? Like, where's the beef on this from the analyst point of view? So the biggest change for us from the focus on ESG is we care a lot more about the business mix of utility companies. In the past, all we looked at were whether the business mix was regulated or unregulated and and the financial metrics related to each. 
one of the big changes is today, we care a lot more about what comprises the regulated business, how much of the business is coal generation, how much of the business is focused in natural gas-related midstream or delivery businesses. And so the business mix matters more. How much is the company today or in the future earning money from the renewables business? And in the past, investors did not really care much about that, but today they really are segmenting more utilities based on their mix of business. And that, that really is the biggest single change that we've seen and that we have been communicating to investors. A lot of that data was not available before. You know, there's a lot of data out there on utilities, but some of this data nobody ever cared about, so they didn't really know what percent of the company's earnings came from coal power plants. But people know that today and they care. So is it becoming kind of a an in-out game in the investment world? Like if you're not meeting minimum thresholds, people are sort of like looking past you. How's that working in the real world? Yeah, so it's ESG is very, it's kind of an unfair. It's very much a applied based on individual investors' own metrics. Often those metrics are not particularly accurate, but what we're seeing is some firms basically say, hey, any company that has a meaningful amount of coal, we're not going to invest in. Even if five years from now, they're going to get out of it, we're not going to invest in it right now until they do. So there are some hard and fast rules for certain firms. Others are more focused on how well the company's transitioning itself and looking more to five to 10 years out and not just to what it is today. Some look at ESG ratings of the ESG rating firms. So we now have, just like we have credit rating agencies, they're essentially ESG rating firms today. And so some of the investors will look at those ratings. I was reading your newsletter early this year, and you wrote a piece about how ESG was a historical winner in a year that was pretty difficult historically for utilities. Can you elaborate on that? The sector as a whole had actually its worst year ever for a period when interest rates went down. However, within that construct, the companies that are leaders on renewables, leaders on ESG, were all among the top performers. And in fact, probably the leading company, Nextera, not only was a top performer in utilities, but also was well ahead of the market last year, despite the fact that the sector overall was very weak. Excellent. Well, thanks, Steve. Thanks for giving us the time and thanks for your insights. I know I learned a lot and I'm sure our audience will as well. Great. Thank you, Brad. Fascinating to hear how Wall Street's thinking about it, but I want to dig back a little further and really get an understanding of how the electric sector and the electric power industry started to think about ESG, sort of the work that they've done in and around ESG, like kind of why it all started. Uh, I'm joined today by Senior Vice President of Finance and Energy Supply, Richard McMahon at the Edison Electric Institute. And Richard, I think of you as the person who taught me a little bit about ESG and what it is, what it means, and why it matters. But I'm curious about the genesis. 
why did EEI start focusing on ESG and when did you start doing this? Great. And Brad, it's, it's really great to be back in the current. As you know, I think it's an excellent podcast. I'm not just saying that because we're colleagues, but I think you've picked a certainly a, a timely topic. So, you know, when we, we started working on ESG about four years ago, and we were, what really got it going is we were seeing proxy initiatives backed by some of our largest investors that really didn't jibe with the leadership that we believe that our members had on ESG issues. And some of these issues that they were voting for included things like studying climate change and looking at board engagement in climate, which obviously we know our companies are heavily engaged in those issues. So basically, you know, we were also hearing from some of our larger investors telling us that our sustainability reports and, you know, really all of our companies were doing sustainability reports, voluminous ones, but they really weren't giving investors what they needed. So they weren't communicating that sort of critical ESG information. It just wasn't on the mark. So essentially, as I said, they were too lengthy. They were inconsistent in their presentation of information. EEI went to our board. We went to our board. I brought in some large investors, and we basically put forward the idea that we wanted to collaborate with them to develop a sector-specific ESG template that our members could use. And as a result, it turned out that we were a first mover on ESG disclosures of that kind, sort of a sector-specific voluntary template. And subsequently, we've added AGA. And so essentially, our template encompasses the entire sector. What is the template itself and, and what does it communicate to investors? So one of the things that we learned in this process is that different industries have different levels of emphasis on the E, the S, and the G. So when we started out, clearly the E was a capital E and the S maybe not, you know, not so big and the G kind of a medium-sized G. Different industries are different and have different approaches. And that's one of the reasons why we advocate for having that flexibility and we like sector-specific approaches. But when we started, you know, our investors were interested, as I said, in the environmental information. They were very interested in emissions and the trajectory of our fleet transition. And some of that trajectory and forward-looking information is not something that you would normally see in an SEC disclosure because you know, mo most public companies and issuer companies are reluctant to put you know, forward information that isn't certain. This is information that was felt by our investors was really important. We basically, and the other thing that they said, and this is in response to what I said earlier about the fact that we were presenting this voluminous amount of sustainability and ESG information already, but they wanted it very concise and that the brevity is super important very clear and comparable. And they want it presented that way. And so that's exactly what our template does. Our template has two qualitative factors and four quantitative factors. And, you know, in terms of the process of developing our, our template, we met with institutional investors and broadened that to a larger stakeholder group, including some ESG advocates. And basically we started holding these meetings Two times a year in New York, they were always sponsored by the largest banks, and we'll bring together about 150 members and major investors to these meetings and really discuss, at the beginning, we discussed the elements of the template that I described, but then you know we started discussing things that they wanted to see in the template or ways to improve it. So it's kind of an ongoing process, and you know we can talk a little bit about, too, about how our emphasis has evolved over time 
away from just purely environmental, but it, that's how it kind of works is that it's a collaborative process. It's an iterative process. And we get to talk to our biggest investors before proxy season and after proxy season. Where are we now? How many companies are putting out these ESG reports? Well, pretty much all EEI members and AGA members have embraced the EEI ESG reporting template. So what we're seeing is, and it's very interesting because one of the concerns when you do something like this is, well, that means we're all going to be compared against each other and, and one company may look better than another company and that sort of thing. But what we found is that, in fact, some of the fossil heavy members that we have have been highly praised for their ESG reporting because it actually shows clearly what their fleet trajectory looks like in that transition. And that information just wasn't getting getting out in a clear way to investors prior to the template. So we know that it's hitting the mark and we know that our largest investors and even the, the advocates and activists in the ESG space sort of see what we're doing, respect what we're doing. And so it's really had an impact there that we're not having to kind of chase down a lot of proxy initiatives that aren't really valuable for anybody. Well, look, I, I don't know that it's a fair analogy, but you know, a lot has happened in four years here. Oh yeah, you, you went from this conversation of "Hey, I think we need to do something" to now everyone has applied it, so it has a little bit of dog caught car feel um, <laughs> to it. But it, you know, yeah. it, it seems like you guys are managing it really quite well. But it really started with E, and what I'm hearing more about at the moment is like, okay, E solve for. In some sense, so now there's, I guess, more conversation on S and G. How is and by S and G, sorry to to use these acronyms. E is environmental, S is social, G is governance. Right. So what's what's next? Like, what are the what are the trends in ESG in the utility sector as it relates to the social and governance issues? Yeah, let me start with G. I think that one of the values of having this ongoing in pre-proxy season, after proxy season, every year engagement with investors is that, and I'm talking about the big institutional investors that hold a majority of our shares, as well as everybody else in the financial community. One of the big advantages is we get that feedback on an ongoing basis. So in version two of the template, we actually added a governance factor to our disclosure because surprisingly what we heard was investors had this misperception that our companies weren't doing anything on cybersecurity believe it or not bottom line is is we we needed to address that so we did that a couple of different ways we brought in our cyber folks and had uh, a few webinars to all of the largest investors in the financial community to describe the industry effort but then we added a qualitative disclosure to our template on the s piece Certainly, in light of the social unrest we've seen over the past year, plus with the pandemic and and the response of our companies to the pandemic, I mean, obviously, our members are lifeline services, and the way that the industry sort of stepped up and voluntarily decided to do a, a shutoff moratoria, recognizing the lifeline aspect of our product and our service, that is something that really, that societal impact of our service and also the fact that our companies are, are doing a lot with respect to workforce development, diversity, equity, inclusion. And you know, one of the things that we're always proud of is our industry has more, in terms of gender diversity at the CEO level, uh, our industry has more women CEOs than any other industry, particularly compared to the S&P 500. 
So, I mean, I think we have a great story to tell as an industry. And now that we have an opportunity because of the investor interest to tell that story as part of our ESG, and we're doing just that. Fascinating. As I hear you talk about this as someone who has rudimentary training as in accounting, it's starting to sound more and more that, you know, this is just a tool like a balance sheet or an income statement that people are needing to look into when evaluating companies and making investment decisions. And I know you're, you're, you know, you built this for Wall Street and big institutional mm-hmm. investors, but mm-hmm. the information that's in there, I think is a lot more useful just for even every day and as a everyday investors and as a graying millennial, because that's a thing. <laughs> it just seems like this is the type of thing that could become super critical for even regular investors to pay attention to because ESG matters in a way today it never has before. Well, thanks, Richard. I really appreciate you joining us again. And we'll find another topic that you can come and uh, talk to us about. It's my honor. We hope you found this to be an informative discussion, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current, and we stand for energy.